Well, my name's Ben Winkler. I am one of the pastors here, and if I could just extend my own welcome to you, we are so glad to have you with us as we, as a little part of God's big family, try to dream of what life could look like as we are transformed, made new by God. In fact, that's what we're doing here this morning, is if you've been with us over the last several weeks, we've been following along on this Sermon of Jesus that's famously called the Sermon on the Mount. It's this ancient uh, sermon where Jesus kind of dares us, right, where he, he, he invites us to dream of, of a life that is very different than anything we have ever known outside of him. It's the kind of life that leads to flourishing, not just for ourselves, but for the world, for our neighbors, for, for all of creation to find its true purpose in his coming kingdom. So if you would, we're going to read from Matthew 6 here today, but let me pray for us before we get started. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that are soft enough to be changed and molded by you. Lord, make us into a new people, a people who can put our treasure in heaven. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I recently came across one of these fascinating, you know, kind of spotlight articles that NPR often does on the radio or in, in print. Um, and this one was about this couple that lives in Phoenix, Arizona. The names are, are Kristen and Justin. And it tells a story of their first home purchase. Back in 2006, they had set their eyes on what they uh, knew to be their forever home right? It was, it was plenty big. It had space for them to grow into, to have some kids and, and to raise them, right? It had some of the, the creature comforts, right, that would make living in a home uh, more comfortable, more pleasurable than, than where they were currently living. It had all of the amenities, right? It was in a good location and had the right square footage. It was the, the place that they could raise their kids and send them off and sometime in the future uh, sell that home and cash out on a, a tremendous investment that would give them some profit. And indeed, the house seemed to be every bit as much. Within the first year, they started seeing all these homes around them uh, going up in, in value, right? Selling for, for more and more and more money. And they start thinking, well, gosh, how much is our house worth now? Right? And so they began to, to look into it, and, and they find out that, that their home will appraise for so much more than they paid for it that they can refinance their house and take some of that extra money, that extra equity, and they could reinvest it in the home, right, to, to make it an even better home, a more comfortable, more pleasurable place to live, that they could make it even worth even more, even get a better profit someday off of the home. They could truly make it everything that they ever wanted. But some of you know the story, where the story's going, right? Because maybe in 2007, you were in a similar place, watching the value of your home go up and up and up, and then the bubble burst. 
then this idea of, of these homes that, that folks like Kristen and Justin were pouring their lives into, right? Obviously their money, but all of the work of the renovations, all of, all of the effort and the dreams that they poured into this home came crashing down as, as their $400,000 home would eventually sell only for $149,000. This home that they thought would bring them so much joy and, and pleasure and comfort brought them anxiety and fear and worry. This home that they thought would give them so much profit and, and, and equity in this world and it's securing their financial f- uh, future left them you know, with terrible credit, owing hundreds of thousands of dollars that they had no means of repaying. This thing that they thought would put them one step closer to their ultimate goal became a burden that weighed them down and brought them nearly to ruin. And you wonder, what if they could have known? Right? What if somebody could have told them? What if, if the real estate agent who was so excited to close on their house, what if the friends that patted them on the back when they closed on their house what if the loan officer who, who smiled in his chair as they signed the, the closing documents for the refinanced loan, what if one of those people could have told them that you are sitting on top of a landmine? You think it's, it, you think it's, it's, it's a gold mine, but instead this thing is going to blow up in your face. It's going to vanish in front of you, and the things that you think it will give you, it will give you the opposite instead. Jesus, in his sermon, looks out at the crowd of people who are there on the mountain with him, and he sees people who are sitting on landmines, who are pouring their lives, their hours, their blood, sweat, and tears into to investments, into lifestyles, into hopes for the future of this world. And Jesus realizes that they are leading themselves to destruction. Right, the, the, the things that they are pouring their, themselves into, the things that they are hoping will bring them security and peace in the future will bring them nothing, Jesus knows, but hostility and anger and hatred and disappointment. And so Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead invest yourself in the treasures of heaven where rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Jesus knows something that we do not, that the things that we want so badly in this life, the things that we convince ourselves are great ways to invest our our lives are nothing but mirages. They're fool's gold. They'll leave us empty and broken. And so if we're going to understand what Jesus is doing here in this passage, we're going to take a look at these two kinds of treasures, right? The treasures, what Jesus says, treasures on earth, which he tells us to get rid of, don't worry about, don't look at. And then following that, we'll look at the treasures of heaven, right? These things that he is commending to us. And the first question that we have to ask about this treasures of earth is, what are we talking about, right? What does it mean to say, lay up for yourselves, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth? 
You see, because if you've been around uh, the Christian church enough, you may have heard some folks uh, uh, act as if money, right, is, is this evil. And clearly that's part of what Jesus has in mind, right? At the end, he says you cannot serve God and money, right? When he talks about rust and moths and thieves, he's talking about material good, material wealth that can be taken and stripped away, and so there's many people who, who will hear Jesus talking and, and we will immediately think what he's talking about is, is, is wealth in and of itself, right? Or, or the accumulation or the saving of wealth is an evil thing. But for Jesus to be making that point, he'd have to be uh, erasing half the patriarchs out of the Old Testament. He'd have to be doing away with the Psalms and the Proverbs, right? He'd have to be disowning Paul who would come after him. No, that can't be what he's talking about. Others will say, well, it's the uh, wealth and money. It's, it's all dirty. You shouldn't enjoy it, right? You shouldn't take any, any sort of pleasure or, 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 or gratification out of the, the wealth that you have. In fact, you should despise the wealth that you have. And again, if Jesus meant that, he'd, again, have to erase half of the patriarchs. He'd have to ignore the Psalms and the Proverbs. He'd have to disown Paul who comes after him. No, what Jesus is saying, if we hear his words, is he is saying, do not lay up for yourselves. That is, do not set your ambition. Do not make your pursuit in this life the treasures of this world. So it's not the money per se, it's the pursuit of money, or, or, or perhaps even more specifically, the selfish pursuit of that money, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The problem that we come, that Jesus is identifying, is this lifelong pursuit of making yourself uh, uh, profit and pleasure through the means of this world. Which leads us to our second question. Okay, so if that's what Jesus is, is telling us to reject, why should we? Right? Maybe you are like me and, and immediately you go, but, but are they really opposites? Right? Like, can't you, uh, can't you spend half your time working on earth and, and, and making a good short-term investment, Right? giving yourself some stability and some flexibility, right? Can't you do that some of the time? And also, while you're doing that, be pursuing the things of God, right? And, and, and growing and learning and, and caring for other people. Can't you do both at once, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Diversify your portfolio, right? Uh, get some short-term gain and some long-term gain at the same time. Jesus knows that's where our hearts go. And so he tells us this next little section here. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body, right? This, he gives us this metaphor of, of an eye that can see, right, versus the eye that cannot see. The eye that can see, the eye that's turned to the light, receives the light and it fills the whole body. The, 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 the person knows where they are going and they know what they are doing, but the eye that cannot see, the eye that is looking into darkness, has nothing but darkness to go towards. See, Jesus is telling us that the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of the treasures of this earth will take your eye and they will turn your body towards the darkness, right? That the, 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 this pursuit 
of wealth, this pursuit of stability on earthly terms, right, will become like a, a, an underwater mortgage, right? It will consume more and more and more of you. You see, you think you're just looking over, right, to change lanes, but what you don't realize is that as you look, you turn the steering wheel, right? You remember how hard it was when you were 16 learning to drive to look without turning the steering wheel? The same is true in our lives. The same is true in how we live. When you are looking forward and what you see in your future, what you see in your present is opportunities to gain wealth, is opportunities to gain security, opportunities to gain notoriety in earthly treasures, right? In, in ways that can be things that can be taken away from you, you will orient your whole life. But Jesus says those things are darkness. Those things will lead you not towards uh, pleasure and profit as you imagine. Those things will lead you to darkness. And instead, even worse, they won't just lead you towards darkness. They will fill you with darkness. One commentator says this, as blindness leads to darkness, so ignoble and selfish ambition plunges us into moral darkness. It makes us intolerant, inhuman, ruthless, and deprives life of all ultimate significance. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It kind of makes sense uh, because you know that to acquire more wealth oftentimes will, will, uh, it requires your undivided attention, right? It requires a, a, a work week that has many more hours than you want to give to it. That you think you're pursuing this thing that will bring you health and, and, and goodness, but instead it becomes an all-consuming, uh, a, a never-ending monster that blocks out anything, any other kinds of ambitions but their own. Indeed, that's why Jesus says where your treasure is, the thing that you look at, the thing that you orient your life towards, that's where your heart is. That's who you will become. And indeed, here at the end, he says, and you cannot serve both God and money. Or in the old trans tra uh, translations, I would say, you cannot serve both God and mammon, Right? Because mammon is a slave owner, right? You can have two jobs. You can have two employers, but you cannot have two slave masters. Jesus is telling us that the pursuit of treasure in this life, the pursuit of material treasure, the pursuit of notoriety, of fame, of a good name, is the kind of pursuit that will consume you and eat you up and spit you out. It'll be like that. Uh, underwater mortgage that you are just pouring more and more and more money into more and more and more of your anxiety into more and more and more of your anger towards. It will consume you and leave nothing in the process. You see, we think we can have God on one hand and still pursue the pleasures of this life in the other, but Jesus says it doesn't work that way. You cannot serve both God and money. So uh, we ask, what are those treasures? We ask, why is it that Jesus is saying that we need to reject them? But the third is perhaps the most practical. How do we know if that's what we're doing? 
how do we know if, 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 if our motives and our desires are, are one way or the other? Surely, it, if you're like me, it feels like a mixture, right? It feels like some days I, I want one thing, and it seems like other days I want another. I think perhaps maybe the most encouraging advice that I can give you is, is to look at your fears, to follow your fears. Because you see, your fears are based on, on what you think you have to lose, right? Your fears are based upon what you think that uh, is, what are those things of value that you think are vulnerable to being taken away? Those things that you think might walk out the door on you, those things that you think might rust or rot, that thieves might take or that moths might eat, right? We live in the moment uh, when we see this all around, Right, we live in, we're living right now in this election season. In fact, I put a quote in there from a, a London preacher who lived 60 years ago, just so you know I'm not making, this isn't a stretch just to get to politics, right? But the re- there's a reason why we are so anxious and frustrated and angry and hot around the collar when we come to talk about politics. There's a reason why we get so defensive and belligerent and ruthless and downright mean with people who are different from us. Because when it comes to politics, most of us do politics trying to protect our earthly treasures, right? Most of us are trying to find a way to, to profit, right, financially. Most of us are trying to, to, to experience that pleasure of being morally right when that other person is so terribly wrong, Right in this election that's coming up on Tuesday, what are you afraid of? What do you have to lose? Is it something that belongs to the kingdom of heaven or something that belongs to the kingdom of earth? In the midst of a pandemic, as Europe this week begins to shut down in uh, uh, mass, in, in countries shutting down, providing mass countrywide shutdowns? What is it that keeps you up at night as you fear for our world here in America? If you follow those fears, you'll probably find what you're pursuing. You'll probably find those ambitions that more often than not you're investing your time and your effort and your energy into. If you're a parent, Right, if you're a parent and you have young kids, right, and you uh, are, are obsessed about the decisions you're making for your kids, or maybe you're a parent and you have older kids and you're obsessed and worried and fearful for the decisions that they're making for themselves, right? What schools should we go to? What food ought we to eat? What activities should we invest in? And more often than not, we find that the rationale for which we make those choices is because we're trying to protect treasures of earth for our kids, not treasures of, of heaven. All right, we're more concerned about them having a secure financial security than, than what their uh, education opportunities allows them to serve other people. If we're being really honest with ourselves, we're much more worried about their loss of earning potential. We're much more worried about the kinds of friends that they'll make than we are about the kinds of ways that they can love and shape and change the world because of their school. 
right? What is our overarching ambition? What is it that we dream about? What is it that we have a plan for? My guess is that many of you have at least an idea, if not a codified plan, of how you're going to attain to some level of financial security in this life. How many of us even have sat down to, to consider an idea, much less a plan, Right, of how our experience and knowledge could transform the lives of our neighbors. We've spent a lot of time investing in the treasures of earth, the treasures of earth that will not last. And we've spent very little time on the treasures of heaven. You see, when Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, he's implicating us all. He's holding us all to this standard. So let's look at the treasures of heaven. If the treasures on earth lead us not just into darkness, but fill us with darkness, then what are the treasures of heaven? How can we understand them? What does it mean to seek the treasures of heaven? <clears throat> now, you may be tempted to read this and, and, and have this idea that heaven is this far off afterlife, right? That it is you, 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 you pain and struggle in this life so that someday you can have a bank account in heaven that's filled with all your good deeds. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus talks about earth and heaven, he's not talking about this physical life and some far off spiritual life. He's talking about uh, heaven is where God is. Whenever and wherever God resides, that is heaven. That's heaven in the now. That's heaven in the future. When Jesus says, my kingdom is at hand, he's saying that there is a slice of heaven that we can attain to, that we can experience in this earth. And that's why he calls us to love God and to love our neighbor, right? To build up treasures of heaven. Treasures in heaven is to look for the goodness and truth and the justice and the mercy and the peace and the kindness of God in this life. And then to experience those to the nth degree in the life to come, to look out for the treasures of heaven is to look out to be rich in good deeds, says Paul in First Timothy, right? It's to dream and it's to plan not of, of what, how you can spend your time to further your wealth, but how you can use your wealth right, of, of money, your wealth of time, your wealth of, of, of gifts, to be a blessing to God's world, to be a blessing to your neighbor. And why should we do it? Well, Jesus here in this passage is clearly inferring two kind of motives, one of which I've already talked about at length, so I won't hear, and that is to avoid the darkness, right? Jesus says you got two options. You can serve, you can serve, make your life around serving this, this nebulous moving um, goal of, of wealth on earth, or you can set your heart on the wealth of God's kingdom. He said, he says, uh, but this one's going to leave you empty and dark, and you're going to be a slave to it, right? So that's a pretty good motive to not want to go down uh, door B, right? But I think what's interesting, and, and maybe you will as well, is, is the first rationale he gives, right? The first motive that Jesus gives for seeking the kingdom of heaven, of seeking the treasures in heaven, is that they're the true treasure, 
right? A treasure is something that brings you profit and pleasure. You see, so many of us think when we read this that, that, that Jesus wants us to be poor, that he wants us to be miserable, that he wants us to be in pain in this life. But the opposite of earthly profit, the opposite of earthly profit in Jesus' mind is not poverty. The opposite of earthly profit is kingdom profit, Right? The opposite of, of earthly pleasure is not uh, earthly pain. The opposite of earthly, uh, the, the opposite of earthly pleasure is God's kingdom pleasure, right? The pleasure of knowing absolute security of being in God's hands, right? It's the profit of an increase of, of truth and justice and righteousness in this world. To invest in the kingdom of, of heaven is to experience what real treasure is, that you would be fully human, that you would be a a, a person that's filled with peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? That you would be a person who is filled with love, that you would become more human, right? That you would live life as God intended it. You see, the motive for why you should pursue the treasures of heaven is because it is good. It brings you what real pleasure is. It gives you what true profit is. See, Jesus doesn't just say, uh, stay away from the dark, mean, nasty earth. He says, move towards that which will make you fully and truly alive. The treasure of heaven is a treasure. And that's why Jesus invites us to seek it. Finally, we'll ask the same third question. How do I know if what I'm doing, how do I know if I'm seeking the kingdom of heaven? And it's funny, as I uh, wrote this sermon, the first thing I know was, uh, I wrote was, uh, let me know if you find out. Let me know uh, if you get to a place where you feel like you are truly integrated and, and truly oriented your, your life and your choices and your investments of time and money towards that which is that which will last, that which belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Because I know in my heart that it's never been quite that pure. And indeed, I know even more so that one of the biggest dangers of preaching a sermon like this is that you will hear that you have this uh, job to do, that if you make different choices from here on out, that you could transform your life from an investment in the, in the treasures of earth to the investment of the treasures of heaven. Right? But there have been hundreds of thousands of people who have taken vows of poverty and are still controlled by the slave master of money. You cannot choose your way out of this. No, like all of these things that Jesus talks about in this sermon, you will be, uh, you can work towards a You can invest in the treasures of heaven only when and only if and only to the extent by which Jesus transforms your heart, your life, your eyes. So what does it look like if if we are are growing towards that, if we are taking more and more uh, an idea where we are seeing 
the opportunities of the treasure of heaven, right? Well, one of the first things is, is that we recognize when those fears are controlling us, right? More and more you will begin to, to see and understand and be able to decipher and be honest about your motives, that I am really afraid and that makes me want to hold on to all of my money, I'm really afraid for my kids, and so that means that I am, uh, I'm going to push away everyone else who seems threatening and hold them at arm's length, right? More and more you will begin to see the Spirit of God will bring you a, awareness to you that you have oriented your life towards that which is temporal, towards that which can be taken away. And more and more you will be able to do the most Christian thing of all, Repent. Repent. Say, God, I have once again made this day, this week, this hour about filling my own pleasures and, and maximizing my own profit. Lord, would you reorient my heart? Lord, would you teach me to love what you love? Would you teach me to hate what you hate? Right, that when the Spirit of God brings that recognition to mind that you can be the kind of person, that we can be the kind of people who, as, as Matt likes to say, rest. Right, who, who, who rest in prayer, who rest in the good words of, that God has promised this kind of transformation to those who are His. That we can be a people who hear and regularly come back to listen to what God has to say, who regularly plead with God that he would transform us? Or what does it look to grow towards it to be a people who invest in the kingdom of heaven is that we rest and then we remind, right? That as you feel the temptation, as you feel the fears that pull your heart away towards things that are temporal, towards things that won't last, that you can remind and be reminded of the truth, Right? That you can find fellow sojourners to, who are looking, after the, looking for the treasure of heaven um, and will help you know where to look, right? Who will walk with you. That's why we get together in community groups, right? As Matt likes to say, that's why we get together for milkshakes and coffee, right? That's why we get together for, for beers, right? Is so that we can remind one another of what is true, that we can remind one another when we have, have made choices and desires and we've become once again slaves to our fears of this world and we can be transformed by God. To be a group of people who can encourage one another to, to live in this life and to make hard choices simply because we love Jesus, simply because we love our neighbors. Jesus preached this sermon to a group of people who were sitting on an investment that was about to burst, on an investment that was about to rear its ugly head and consume them, to turn them into the, the, the frightening monsters that fear and anger and jealousy always make us out to be. And he brings this word to us today for the same reason. This week, we will be inundated with messages of fear 
with messages of hatred, with messages of, of competition. This week, we will be asked to give of ourselves, to give our life away to treasures that are not treasures at all. They're booby traps that will lead us into bondage and slavery. But Jesus tells us this because he has promised us a way out. He's promised to buy us, buy us out of that slavery. He's promised to bring us into his true life. He promises that we can be a part of his family because he has died. And because he has rose again, we can have life in him. 